Welcome to King Size, a Stephen King podcast for obsessives by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Welcome, one and all, to the King Size Halloween special. Now, you may be noticing that right at the beginning of this particular broadcast, something is different, and you could be forgiven for thinking that the lunatic has taken over the asylum. Yes, this introduction is being done by a different voice today, perhaps as a one-off, perhaps regularly. Who can say? We don't know. Only going forward will tell. Now, this is the King Size Halloween special. I thought about calling it the holiday special, but it occurred to me that it might be a bit too similar to the Star Wars holiday special. And um, if you haven't seen it, believe you me, it is most definitely special. It is unique. I would stay away from it if I was you, unless you really want to torture yourself, dig out the Star Wars holiday special. But I think it would be better if you cast that aside and stayed with us. With me today is my constant co-pilot, joining me for some tricks, perhaps the occasional treat. I don't know. You'll have to see what I've got up my sleeve. Shall we go trick or treating, Matt? What is your pleasure, Mr. Mr. Matt Robinson? Oh, well, Mr. Balkan, I am am quivering, a quivering with excitement, Uh, a little bit of trepidation as well, um, which is only appropriate as it's uh, that spooky season. Are you a fan of Halloween traditionally? Have you enjoyed, I mean, I know we don't um, experience it in quite the way that our our American and Canadian cousins do, although it has caught on a little bit more in, uh, in, in recent years, but do you like Halloween? I do very much. I think, especially since the having the kids and the kids getting a little older, they it's such a creative time. You know, my my, my two ones at the moment, my two little girls, um, you know, carving out pumpkins. So, will you go knocking on doors? Will you take the girls trick or treating? We will certainly be taking them out to terrorize in a in a very gentle way, um, <laughs> gentle terrorization of a few local houses. Yeah. And hopefully come back with more than a few uh, treats, chocolates, candies, and yeah. the like. Are, are you going to be donning your, uh, your 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 Freddy mask or your Jason mask and and, and heading out uh, to pound the streets? Well, I that's a normal um, week normal weekend for you, Sai, isn't it? I mean, that's the, well, exactly. Uh, I mean, that's just my different? Friday Saturday night. <laughs> so Halloween doesn't really stand out in that respect anymore. This coming Saturday evening, um, it, I think it's some sort of corporate event it must be i'm actually going to be a zombie for three hours oh yeah great somebody is employing me to be a zombie at some corporate event that's 
that, that's going on. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going oh. to be a sort of a, a leftover extra from The Walking Dead, which I'm rather looking forward to. I thought it could be really good fun, actually. And have you decided if you're going to go for, um, you know, old school kind of uh, old zombie speed walking, or are you going to go for the for the new school uh, fast paced one? I think the former. Yeah. Um, because as we may have discussed before, I think that sort of constantly moving in your direction, zombie could be nice and nice and scary but then you know the fast one the really this sounds really exhausting i'm going to do this for about three hours so if i'm constantly running it like you you know usain bolt then it's gonna it's gonna get knackering quickly yeah laid back laid back zombie i'm gonna use uh it follows as my uh, guiding star yes good yes very nice very sort of you know fixed on them and moving yeah inexorably forward sort of thing well photos please so that we can upload that to uh, the king size uh, instagram and twitter um for sure <laughs> i'll make sure to get some i've seen somebody sent me a photograph of some of the guts that um, i'm going to be wearing i mean they're you know proper intestines yeah, hanging yeah, out yeah. and so yeah so i must make, make sure to get some good get some snaps yeah. Well, it's always it's always been a strong look on you. I mean, it's always you know it, you you pull you pull that you know intestine uh, uh, chic off very nicely, if I must say so. Yeah, yeah. Cover me in blood, so I'm unrecognisable, and all of a sudden I become quite a catch. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know who isn't a fan of the Halloween festival? I'm thinking. Oh, would it be our uh, our, our, our Lord Chief uh, and Commander Stephen King? I think it might be. Yes. Mm. Doesn't care for Halloween anymore. What's his what's his uh, what's his reasoning behind it? You know. Well, if I can take the man from what he said in an interview with um, Conan O'Brien, and I think he said the same thing to Stephen um, Colbert. Uh, it got a bit much. There was a in the sense there was a huge amount of expectation placed on him mm. to do something freaky and weird at Christmas, and he'd have like hundreds of people turn up outside the house, uh, just you know waiting for him to do something mad. And so this is this is crazy. I can't keep putting gravestones out in the garden every time because people are going to have this expectation on me that I'm going to be the uh, the Santa Claus of Halloween, and it's not you know it's not what I want. So. I just it just ignores it now. I think he's probably in Florida by now anyway. Now I'm going to take one of his trick slash treats. I don't know quite what, quite what to call it. Maybe it's a, a triac. Yeah. Maybe it's a, a I don't know. But um, when he was doing his uh, book tour for revival, mm-hmm. um, he said that uh, one of the things he wanted to do was improve his public speaking. And one of the things that he read was that you should open with a joke. Open with a joke. It loosens people up. It gets them nice and relaxed. Um, that's a good way to to begin. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to choose the dumbest joke I can find, so that everything that comes after it sounds much more intelligent. However, I'm going to do the same thing to you that he did to his audience, which is I'm going to tell you half of the joke, and then I'm going to give you the punchline at the end. So. The joke that he used starts like this. Two jumper cables walk into a bar and you'll get the punchline at the end. So, are you ready for your first Ooh. trick? 
I'm excited. I'm up for it. I've got a I've, I've got a beverage in hand just to, to calm the slight nerves I'm feeling. Uh, so yeah, and the evil glint and the raised eyebrows that I'm seeing right now. <laughs> I might be enjoying this a little bit too much. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. right, go for it, go for it. <laughs> so this first trick is simply called the door. I would like you to imagine that in front of you, alongside each other are three doors. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to, in a moment, tell you what is behind each one of these doors. Mm -hmm. So you will know where you're going. You're not gonna have, you have to pick one at random. However, you will pick one having given some due consideration as to which one you would like to go through and where therefore you'd like to go to. We will pass through the door together but you will make the choice of where we're going. The door will close behind us and it will disappear forever. So once we're there, we're there. And once there, we must spend the night. So. Okay. <laughs> behind door number one, this is the front door of the Marston House, Jerusalem's lot, Main. Behind door number two, the lobby of the Overlook Hotel, outside the town of, or the city, of uh, Sidewinder, Colorado. Door number three would lead you across the threshold of 29 Nebolt Street, Derry, Maine. Now, when you're, when you're making your decision when you're sort of spitballing this out and I'd like you to sort of think about each one of the options and what the pros and cons of each one are it might not necessarily be which one you think is the the least terrifying you might want to choose the one which you think is the one that you'd like to to brave out and to survive so you might want to choose what the one you think is going to be the most terrifying I don't know it's up to you so, and one door, I can just choose the one door for us to we're, go through. We're only going through one. It's your choice. But remember, it's it's dusk at the time of this, this, this decision. Yeah. We have to spend the night in, in this, um, whichever house you, you want to be in for the whole of the night. You had me at there were three doors. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> so just so appropriate at the moment. I'm uh, redoing and listening to the audio of the drawing of the three, which is the uh, the, the second part of the Dark Tower Odyssey. And uh, three doors play a very prominent role in that. <laughs> so at the moment, I feel like Roland the Gunslinger. We've just discussed at quite some length in our last podcast what happens when you go through the, that front door of the Marston house and what lurks within that house um, and the malevolence of the house itself. But that could, I could, you could also say that of the other two structures, could well, you not? Yeah, no, ex exactly. I'm just looking at them all going from door one through to two and three. Um, so obviously Jerusalem's lot is very, very fresh within my, my mind and the, the, the horrors of what lurks within there. Um, 
going over the threshold of number 29. Uh, oh, I mean, but I know which one I'm going to plump for. And I'm going to go through door number two. I'm going to choose to go through into the and check in to the Overlook Hotel. So why the, why the Overlook as opposed to the Marston House or 29 Nebel? What, what, what's your rationale for that decision? Well, my thinking is, if all comes to life, there, well, first of all, there is a bar there. <laughs> there is a very, very well-stocked bar. Clientele are slightly dubious, um, but there's a well-stocked bar that might come, come become in very useful. There's a bartender. And I, I'm picturing at some stage, hopefully, you're going to be with me, right? You, you're, right, you're, yes, yes. Yes, I didn't you're, say you're going to be completely on your own. You yeah, just okay. Decision. Okay, good. Well, I'm hoping. So if I'm there with you, at some stage in the night, I'm thinking maybe we're propping up this bar and um, just, just sharing a few drinks. Um, there's music, there's the jazz age being brought to life, there's people dancing, there's, so there's the potential of that, um, might not quite play out the way we want it to, but there is that, and there's such a vastness to it, so many rooms, so many little hidden spaces, you've got the outdoor area, I think there is a huge amount of space to discover, but also I'm hoping there's enough spaces to run to if one needs yeah i can get on board with that reasoning mm -hmm. i think if um the tables were turned and you'd asked me this question i think my answer pretty much would have been the same yeah because if you're going through the uh going into the house in Derry, then if and i'm not saying it's going to be the case but if you experience anything then it's going to be tailored very specifically to your darkest fears yes. um the marston house is uh, inherently creepy because it's the it's the town haunted house it's the one that's got this reputation so even if nothing untoward happens you're still carrying this expectation that something's going to and I think you're right. The Overlook has the advantage of space, but it might be that I'm in such of a in such a mood to go. No, I want to face my darkest fears. Mm. You know, bring it on. In which case, you're going to choose Derry mm. Mm. because you want to know that you can face. And it'd be interesting to see what you're faced with because you might not not necessarily be be conscious of what you're what your fear is it might present you with something you hadn't even thought of but it's utterly terrifying yeah absolutely but i'm thinking i'm taking a slight element of that by going into the overlook because mm -hmm. as you know i one of my very primal fears uh and, and phobias probably is wasps and the overlook i've never read such a waspy stephen king book as i have with the shining i'm thinking on a primal level Potentially, if I went into Derry, that I, I'm imagining there could be wasps there. We're not talking, you know, there, there might be a whole load of other emotional things, but on a practical level. So I'm thinking that could crop up in this hotel we're staying in. When I did my recent 
reread of The Shining, I got I got caught off guard because I got to that because I've read The Shining before, but I got to that exact same same chapter and I and I, I, I read the title and I put the book down and I said to myself, "Oh damn! I could have sworn it was bees. <laughs> yeah. I could have sworn it was a bees nest that he finds, and that's that's more manageable. But it's not. Is, it's a yeah. flipping wasp's nest. Darn it! <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely. yeah bees in misery this was yeah yeah and i had forgotten that was the thing si i had forgotten that they play such a prominent part within the story and the fear factor um and it, it just ramped everything up so i know that those nests are there within the overlook where you and I are now going to be spending the night. The only other thing I want to draw attention to is your um, your assumption that the the bar is going to be full and that there's going to be a huge party kicking off. <laughs> yes. Surely, if that's the case, then there's something wrong with one or both of us. Well, I think we know that there's definitely something wrong with both of us. I mean, that's that's just given. That's just a fact, right? And as you also know, my glass is always, it's not even half full, it's always overflowing. It's the <laughs> stupid, um, you know, human aping of my Labrador. You know, uh, I, 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 I bound into life going, you know, everything will be okay, I'm sure. So in my head, you and I are sat there and we've been served a beautiful dark and stormy and we're maybe having a cheeky cigarette and there's a wonderful band playing and there's beautiful women dancing. And we're just going, oh, she's all right. And it's snowy outside. I'm fully aware <laughs> that very, very quickly, that will all prove to be an illusion. See, I'm not, <laughs> it's a really odd <laughs> thing because question. on one hand, you do have the size of the overlook where you can, you can hide. But there is also something so unsettling yeah, about yeah. being only a few people, one or two, or even on your own, inside a building that big which should under normal circumstances be very well populated there's something really eerie yeah. about that and that's sort of at one end of the spectrum so Kneebolt Street and the Marston House particularly the Marston House sort of has that edge because it's small and there's only so many rooms yeah but again, place. And yeah. like, there's only so many corners that something can yes. can be hiding around. Let me let me let me give you one one final piece of information before you give me your your final decision, just in case this 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 makes a difference. Now, we're assuming because I haven't told you otherwise that um, all three of these buildings are active. Now, it could be. That the night we spend in the Marston House is, say, a week before Straker acquires it. Okay. And it could, it could be that um, when we, if we were to go to Kneebolt Street in Derry, that it is in that two decades plus period where Pennywise is not active. So it's still just a house. Yeah. And it could be that the um the over overlook hotel while um it's still off season um it's a night when things are quiet so comparatively quiet so i'm not at, at this juncture i'm not saying whether or not anything's going to happen mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So does that, knowing that, does that have any other influence on the door you'd like to go through? I think I'm going to stick rather than twist. I'm going to stick with the Overlook Hotel because I still think that the Marston House has uh, a presence, even if it hasn't yet been acquired by Straker. Mm -hmm. It's obviously haunted by what happened there. Um, And it's just malevolent as a presence. And even if it was, you know, 20 years before Pennywise gets his poison into 29, still the fact that it's chosen as a vessel, there's a feel to it. I think I'm more inclined to go to the Marston house. For that reason, for that, for the reason that there is something inherently creepy in its very foundations, because then you can say that you survived it. There's something about people who have had a near-death experience, mm. either you know, even if that's um, in a in a in a, an accident or on the operating table. I, the people who I have met who have spent time sort of, you know, in the company of death, for want of a better phrase, they have a certain um, anchor to themselves. They have, they have certain base confidence that a lot of other people lack. And I have to say, I would rather envy because they have an understanding of how fragile life is and their tolerance for BS is virtually non-existent because they realise how how short life is to clutter with things like that mm. um and i think if i'd survived the nights in somewhere like the Marston house which i knew was yeah yeah um, okay terrifying yeah, in its yeah. very foundations whereas i think i think the overlook i could say to myself ah, it's just a hotel you go there. I'm going to check into the. Overlook. You're going to check into the overlook. And I'm, I'm, going order, I'm going to order room service and uh, <laughs> hope there's something good on the TV. Or I'll just I'll just take my late, latest Stephen King book with me and uh, yeah, and I have a lovely sleep. And <laughs> well, unfortunately for me, um, in this particular case, my uh, my preference is irrelevant. So, is that your is that your final answer? That is my final answer to the overlook right. we go. Right. We uh, open the middle door. Door number two. Walk through it, close it behind us, and uh, it disappears for, forever. And we find ourselves in the lobby of the Overlook Hotel outside the city of Sidewinder in Colorado. Now, now we are here, and dusk is, uh, dusk is falling. Now well, the sun is setting, I should say. Um, I never hope to uh, say that sort of nothing would happen. It might not. It might have happened. <laughs> it might not. But this, we're in the Stephen King verse, right? So <laughs> if absolutely nothing happened, it wouldn't make a very interesting chapter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now, one of the um, recent adaptations which I have enjoyed enormously and I hugely recommend it to anybody that would like to get on board with it um, hasn't read it or hasn't 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 seen this is the mini series of the outsider I thought it was magnificently done it really was wonderfully executed shot acted 
paced, written. It strangely, it seemed to be very uh, popular with the fans and the critics didn't care for it. They thought it was a bit too slow. And I, I don't understand because it was written chiefly by the man who wrote The Wire. Right, okay, yeah. And I, well, but The Wire wasn't exactly a fast-paced TV drama, so why have you got a problem with the pace on this? Yeah, but if the but fans anyway. if the fans love it, then yeah, that's you know that that's the real voice there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's strange. It didn't make any sense to me. However, one of the questions that the outsider um, seeked to pose, yeah, was how do you cope with the unbelievable? So how do you hold on to your sense of reality in the face of the unexplainable? and yet completely tangible. Mm -hmm. So we're in, we're, we're in the overlook, right? Uh, we've, we, we've, you know, checked, we've got into our, our rooms and there's some weird stuff happening. So perhaps we can hear the, um, the lift going up and down mm -hmm. um, at the end of the corridor. Or perhaps there's a really, really strong smell of fine food coming from the kitchen. And we know damn well there's nobody down there. Mm. Um, or perhaps you can hear somebody knocking on doors or something, and you and I both know we're the only people there. So, so what do you do? What, what, what do you do? Do you go and investigate? Do you sort of hope, think it will go away? And what do you use as your sort of anchor, if you like, your mental and emotional anchor to stop yourself from going completely crazy? It's interesting. I think it might be a case of connecting to the breath, mm -hmm. just keeping breathing, because in situations like that, where the amygdala hijack happens and we have that fight or flight response and that we stop thinking rationally we, and the blood goes to the extremities, we want to fight or flight or freeze, more likely, because we're terrified. That's when we stop being able to think and that's when we stop breathing. So the first thing would be, I would be like, practice what I preach to people, get your oxygen flowing to your brain so I can make sharp decisions. So I would breathe. I, that mm -hmm. would be my anchor. Keep breathing, deep diaphragm breath. Mm -hmm. So get that under control and then look at the situation and then look at what's on hand maybe to, I, I'd want to feel the tactility of things, I think, to ground mm -hmm. me. You know, go that 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 bed is real. That yeah, but what if what if what you can see in front of you, mm. which makes no logical sense, is also real? So we've wandered into the to, mm. to the ballroom and we had a look at it just to see what it was like when we we came in to the hotel and it was sort of empty and all the tables were to the side and there was nothing in the bar. Oh right, so this is well, it's a really big room, beautifully decorated. We go to the we go to a room and then 15 minutes later it's full of people from the 1930s having a party and they're there. It's not just you know they're not like ghosts. One of them one of them bumps into us. One of the one of them hands you a drink. Um, one of them is um, you know this beautiful woman who's incredibly drunk and asks me to dance, but she's interacted with me. Mm -hmm. So, I so I heard that somebody somebody said those words. How how are you going to? Because yeah. that's tangible as well. That is a reality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think if the if the the really hot girl goes up and asks you to dance, I know that my friend, you'd be like, right, I'm off. I saw her first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I think that inner monologue, just just controlling that inner inner monologue. Okay, so this is the thing what I would hold to. So my breath, and something called the negative thought cycle, mm-hmm. which is uh, something I would try and reframe. So the trigger creates a thought. So I'd go into that room and there'd be a ton of people dancing 1930s jazz age. And I'd go, okay, right. That next thought um, can create a feeling. So I can have that thought of, oh my God, this is just crazy. What's happening? The feeling will then be my heart will start racing. I won't be able to breathe properly. Um, The feeling will create a behavior, which is where I'd either start screaming or try and run out. And then the outcome would be I draw attention to myself and probably get hunted down and killed. So I need to have a space between myself and the thought uh-huh. to break that negative thought cycle happening. Okay. That's that's my thing. What okay. about so am I am I writing there for summarizing that by saying um your aim is to remain as objective from what is happening as as, as possible? You're gonna try and as I say, you're going to try and control your um, your sense of reality, and you're going to make sure that you sort of evaluate and question your what you're thinking, yeah, rather yeah. than just accept rather than just accept it at face value. I, I I think so, which is very hard for me because I'm very much someone who's impulsive mm-hmm. and uh, goes with the gut and is all about the feels. So I'd be like, oh wow, <laughs> this is quite cool. Um, but the danger with that is very quickly. I would lose my mooring and I would lose sight of the beach. You know, if we, you know, I would very quickly get swept up with everything. So I, I would adopt a physical and uh, mental attitude to try and protect both of those fronts. Right. Interesting. I think it's very interesting that um, in our, we both in our own ways have that sort of response. To that to, to keep this sense of what is real and what isn't mm. because we are in inverted commas here grown-ups yes now <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm using i'm using that phrase in its, in its loosest possible application yes. no capital g or no capital u <laughs> definitely not lowercase yeah, very, exactly. very, yeah. very small small font as well <laughs> because uh one of the reasons I think Stephen King says that he writes about children a lot is because their mind is much more likely to just accept whatever it is that they see rather than question it, which is not to say that they wouldn't question it, but the example he often gives is, well, children still believe in Santa Claus. Young children still believe in Santa Claus, and they don't have any problem with believing that. So if they see something which directly contradicts what might uh, be their sense of reality, they're much more likely to to um, to say to, not to say to themselves, "Oh, it's not real. I need to hold on to my sense of reality." They'll say, "This is real. Let me go and investigate it." Um, and they'll be a lot more sort of perhaps perhaps broad-minded about it. Yeah, yeah. And they'll they will they will they will involve themselves in this situation. They won't question whether or not it's real. They'll just say, yeah. this is real. Yeah. But as I say, grown-ups, we're more like, oh, no, that's not real. This is real. That's not real because I, it's, it's unfamiliar or it's um, unnerving. 
And in order to keep myself sane, I have to hold out hold on to what I um, describe as my sense of reality. But that's not what we because that's what we're talking about doing. Whereas I think if we were both going through that um, through this door at eight year, eight years old, um, you get a completely different answer out of both of us. Yeah, you wouldn't totally, think yeah. about what's reality. You just get on with it, wouldn't you? Yeah. So what do you do? So do you do you go for that one night and adopt that child mentality, that broader minded? Let's go and investigate and let's just see what where the where the, the chips might fall. Or do you do the grown up thing of no? I know this is real and I'm going to tether myself. What do, what do you reckon? I would think that it would depend to a certain extent on how armed I've been with information. Mm before because both of both of us sort of went into um went went through this door knowing what the Marston house is what the overlook hotel is and what Neibolt street is yeah. so if we've gone to the overlook do we know um the the stories and the legends surrounding it um or uh yeah, well, yeah. are we just going to be caretakers and just look after this big old building Right. Well, yeah, really good point, because, I mean, it changes. I mean, I'm assuming we're going through with the knowledge of what we know about this environment. But absolutely, you know, if we were to go in uh, as Jack Torrance, <laughs> you know, we're, OK, I've got to keep an eye on the boiler because she creeps. All right. Fair enough. I'll keep an eye on the boiler. But wow, what a great place to finally get my book done. And mm -hmm. there's a there's, you know, amazing uh, hedge animals and there's a there's beautiful playground and yeah, wonderful we've got the run of the place you know be just yeah if that was it it's like dude <laughs> we get night in this huge hotel we, we, we're paying us to be caretakers for an evening mm. uh, great I, I think then you go in with a sense of well just more more freedom maybe and more bravado when something happens um if you're not expecting it mm then you're really going to be relying on your ability to hold hold on to something even metaphorically speaking because what you're seeing in front of you does not make sense and yet it is compelling which is a theme that comes up in the outsider there is this evidence that is utterly compelling and real. There is this evidence which is utterly compelling and real. And the two completely contradict each other. Yeah. How do you, step, you know, how do you make peace with that yeah. in your in your mind? So if you if we don't know anything about the overlook and something starts to mm -hmm. to go off, you start hearing something, and someone of your senses is mm -hmm. is is informing you this is happening. Mm -hmm. Are you still going to do the same thing, or are you going to? Well, well, that's it, isn't it? In the outside, the big, the big question is: so much of it is is when he fight, he stops fighting the fact this can't be real. This, you know, kind of hang on, yeah. you know, this can't have happened because clearly he was at a book signing at the time, and there were witnesses, and there's DNA, but also he's there's DNA here for this horrific crime. It can't be possible. It can't be. And it, the moment he stops fighting that and then goes, yeah, there's something bigger going on. That's when there's a kind of almost the, the book can, some steam comes out. You go, yes, yes, yes. Um, 
But remember, mm. it takes Ralph Anderson an awfully long time to no. get to that point. But yeah, a huge chunk of, you know, uh, and some incredible convincing needs doing. And for, yeah, two thirds of the book, he's, he's not there. Um, so I, I'm not, by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying at all that this, this question has an answer. It's one of those, you know, um, questions be, that's just interesting to oh, it's so yeah, to kick yeah. around. But I'm yeah, not saying there's a bottom line in oh, this is th no, this no, of course not, no, because um, there's no handbook for this. It is just, uh, you know, it, it, it's that thing, isn't it? Of I, I, I remember someone once told me this kind of theory, which uh, is it's an acronym: ERO, Event mm -hmm. Response Outcome. So the event happens, and how you respond to that event can determine the outcome. So if this stuff starts happening in the overlook, I know a big part of it is how do I, it will get its charge from how I respond to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and am I drawn to it or am I repelled by it? Um, mm -hmm. Or a mix of both at the same time, you know? Well, it's got to be something seductive about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, um, as you say, otherwise it doesn't, you know, yeah, you, you okay. would just run a thousand miles. Yeah. But like a lot of evil, there has to be something that speaks to that part of you in usually a sort of a, a charming and uh, seductive fashion. Yeah. Or else you would just shut the door on it. Well, I don't want to talk about the Overlook for too much no. longer, um, for reasons that will become apparent um, before the end of the, uh, the Halloween special. So uh, this next section is very brief. Um, it's called, Have You Lost Your Marbles? Now, I don't actually have any marbles, unfortunately. What I do have are um, three pens. You can see here, two black and one red pen. I can confirm that's two black and one red pen. Now, what I'm doing is I'm going to shuffle the uh, three pens um, behind my back. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'd like you to do is um, instruct me to choose one at random. Now, if it's one of the two black pens, then we are entitled to assume that we went to the Overlook Hotel and we just had a very quiet, uneventful, utterly innocuous evening. Okay. We, we, you know, we, we enjoyed the leftovers in the kitchen. We had a few pints that they left us. We slept soundly oh. and we left the next morning. However, mm. one chance in three, just like the doors, yeah. if I end up selecting the red pen. Oh, Pennywise nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We uh, have to confront the fact that we're going to have to make some of the decisions that we discussed because things are kicking off and things are not what we were expecting them to be so <laughs> when you are ready i've been shuffling these behind my back i will stop i will pick one at random and we'll see what we've got right so this is amazing because you've got three hands right you so you've got a pen in each of your three hands i just knew you <laughs> I'm gonna well, I've go... got something that's often mistaken for an arm, if that's what you yeah, mean. Yeah, I'm going to go for your middle hand. Uh, now, I'm going to go for your, as I'm looking at it, I'm looking at your right hand, which will be uh, your left hand in reality. 
There. We have got the... <laughs> that is the red pen. That is the nose of Pennywise. Unfortunately, no, no, no cheating. I'm holding up the two, two, two black lids, two black pens there. Unfortunately, well, I don't know. It's probably better for us, isn't it? And then we get to test our metal and see what, what we're all about. Of, I was kind of up for that. I was kind of like, yes, you know, uh, let's 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 put it to the test. Absolutely. Well, uh, in this next section, um, we will be. I will be putting you to the test myself. Welcome to Mastermind. Here is another treat or trick along the way for you, as you have to enjoy my, my questionable impression of John Humphreys. I promise I won't do the whole section like this, but I do like giving the voice a little go. So this is Mastermind. For anybody unfamiliar with the format of this show, I'm not sure if it's a UK television programme or if it's uh, sold across the world, but to, uh, to introduce it to anybody who may not be familiar with it, uh, the contestant, in this case Matt Robinson, has given a set length of time, two minutes, to answer questions on a special, specialised subject which uh, he or she has chosen. Now, obviously, in this case, <laughs> it hasn't been chosen at all. It's been utterly imposed. But... Um, <laughs> You know, some, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. <laughs> so it should be fairly obvious about the, uh, the, the subject that Matt is going to be answering questions on. So, the contestant scores one point for each correct answer and may pass as often as desired. If the contestant responds incorrectly, the questioner gives the correct answer before continuing to the next question. Answers to past questions are read out only after the time has expired. Do you understand the rules of the quiz? I do, Quizmaster Humphreys. Marvellous. So, in a moment, you will uh, make your way to the metaphorical black leather chair. You'll have a spotlight shining in your eyes. And I will ask your name, your profession, and then your imposed specialist subject. So please make your way to the metaphorical black leather chair. Black leather chair and spotlight. Now you're talking. My kind of night. <laughs> Are these handcuffs meant to be, uh, just checking, uh, Quizmaster Humphreys, these handcuffs meant to be on the arms of these uh, of this uh, leather chair? They were just left over from the previous contestant. I'm sorry if they're still a bit bloody and sweaty, but... Um... Okay, fine, yeah, there are some bones here as well, kind of, and yeah, just I'll just push them to one side, I guess. Oh, there you go. Right. Oh, God, that's quite, that's quite comfy, actually. Oh, very nice. I'm going to strap myself in. There we go. 
So, what is your name? My name is Matthew Robinson. And what is your profession? Well, very loosely, um, an actor. Um, I was responsible for killing off uh, the long-running TV show The Tribe after the fifth season. And what is your imposed specialist subject? Well, I'm thinking it might be on the works of the great author, Charles Dickens. No, uh, Stephen King. Phew, thank goodness. I don't have anything prepared, prepared on Charles Dickens. <laughs> that would have been the trick on me, had that have actually been a serious <laughs> answer. Great expectations, my friend. <laughs> four, four, four days of hard work and completely up in smoke. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like some of the films I used to work on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Philip Robinson, you have yes. two minutes on the works of Stephen King. Starting now. First published in 1978, the plot of The Stand features a deadly pandemic of weaponized influenza and its aftermath. What is the nickname given to the constantly shifting antigen virus that kills 99.4% of the human population? Captain Trips. Correct. One of, Sting's, one of Stephen King's earliest books centers around a malevolent and mysterious car called Christine, but what make and model is the car? Um, it's a, oh God. Um, oh God, Red, um, pass. In the film adaptation of Cujo, Donna Trenton shoots the rabid dog dead, but what sporting good does she use to kill him in the source novel? Uh, that is a base, uh, uh, part of a baseball bat. Correct. Which of Stephen King's novels was published in 1996 in six separate parts? Uh, the Green Mile. Correct. While driving through the town of Derry, the main character of 112263, Jake Epping, meets two children practicing a dance in the Barrens. They are Beverly Marsh and which other member of the Losers Club? Uh, Vic. Say again? Is it Vic? Oh, Richie Tozier. <laughs> which, which collection of Stephen King stories features the end of the whole mess, Unley's last case and the Night Flyer? Oh, Skeleton Crew. Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Yeah. Which actor who appears in Alien played Sheriff George Bannerman in the 1983 adaptation of The Dead Zone? Pass. Due to its featuring of a high school shooting and the ensuing hostage taking of an algebra class, which... Rage. Or, correct. In the novellas Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne has a poster of Linda Ronstadt hanging on the wall of his cell when he escapes from the prison. But which actress from One Million Years BC is on his wall in Frank Darabont's film? Racka Welsh. Correct. Oh. <laughs> Gen genuinely, I haven't ever wanted to pass it. I, I can't remember wanting to have passed an exam as much as I did those two minutes. And I'm kicking myself about especially Christine um, and Richie Tozier. Uh, I know I will know the answer to Christine. Nightmares and Dreamscapes, yeah, that one, it, I haven't done that for a while, but oh, good questions. But, oh, Christine, it was my first king, as everybody knows. I, uh, I think Ma Matthew Philip Robinson, I think you scored five points. Let me just double check. I was trying to do this as I went along. Yeah. Captain Trips, you got. Um, the baseball, baseball bat, you got. Green um, 
the green mile you've got. Um, you got Rage yeah. and you got Raquel Welsh, which was yeah. the last question. You passed on two. Um, can you remember the make and model of Christine? Oh, God. I, I, total mental blank. Uh, please put me and everyone shouting at the... Uh, 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 their phones out of out of their misery and my misery. She's a Plymouth Fury. Oh, God. Hang your head in shame, Robinson. And the actor from the crew of Alien who also oh. played Bannerman in the Dead Zone. I know, I don't. Tom Skerritt. Right, okay, okay. Oh. So now, five out of... Well, how, how many did I, eight, do I get to I, read? I passed, I passed on those two, and I got Nightmares and Dreamscapes wrong. And Richie Tozier. Ah, so five out of nine. That's not bad. Not bad. Now, what, I, what, I, forgot, what I forgot to do was um, invite everybody who might be listening to play along. And in the unlikely event that they got more points than you, to let us know how they did with the questions that were asked. Yeah. Now, I also thought that there was an extremely remote possibility that the fact that I've massively put you on the spot like this would, um, would throw you. So I have prepared a second set of questions. <laughs> because... You know, my, my thinking for, for, for doing this was, you know, as I say, the lunatic has taken over the asylum. It's supposed <laughs> to be a little bit horrifying and scary. And what's and what's uh, what's not scary about putting somebody on the spot and ask and asking them a pop quiz hotshot yes. about Stephen King. So about the podcast that they claim to know a lot about. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is heart in mouth moment, um, which is why so, I love it. Uh, <laughs> OK. I have got I've got several more questions left over from that round. Okay. As well as all the questions from the um, from the second round. Now, uh, the the questions from the second round, you could very much argue that they're a bit more accessible. But you did really rather well on the questions that we were getting through um, in in round one. So, would you like to pick up where you left off and have another two minutes and then just? run into take two yes please yes yes right. please let me just get my my paper my paper in order here yeah, so that's Lucky. there i need to draw Lucky. a line under More Lucky. oh plymouth fury oh god yeah i know see it i could I, I had it i had it in my hand i had it marcus i had it in my hand matthew philip robinson you have two minutes on the the writings and literary adaptations of Stephen King, starting now. In Stephen King's seminal novel, It, what form does the evil entity usually take in order to attract its preferred prey of young children? Yeah. Correct. Which collection of Stephen King stories features apt pupil, the body, and the breathing method? Uh, different seasons. Correct. In The Dead Zone, Johnny Smith is an English teacher who experiences second sight after being injured in what? Uh, the war, uh, the, the, uh, the Vietnam a war. A car accident. 112263 centres around a writer travelling back in time to prevent the assassination of which world leader? JFK. Correct. 
After Annie Wilkes rescues Paul Sheldon from his car accident in misery, she is horrified to read his latest novel. She objects to the, to the profane language and subject matter. What is the title of the manuscript she subsequently forces Paul to burn? Uh, fast Cars? Correct. What is the name of the private investigator who Stephen King first intended to be a walk-on character, but has been included in all three Bill Hodges stories, The Outsider and If It Bleeds? Um, Holly Gibney. Correct. Tabitha King advised her husband to change the title of one of his books because it sounded like a sex manual. What was the novel which became Salem's Lot originally called? Um, oh, gosh, I don't even have a day. I know it, I know it, I know it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, can I come back to it? No, I can't, can I? Um, pass, because of time. Oh. At 1,152 pages, which novel holds the distinction of being King's longest published work? It. The Stand. <sighs> what is the name of the fictional town in Maine, which is shared by Rob Reiner's production company, where novels Castle such the... Correct. In the film adaptation of Cycle of the Werewolf, Marty Kozlor's Uncle Red built him a new diesel-powered motorcycle wheelchair, which he gives to Marty on July the 4th. What nickname is it given? Silver Bullet. Correct. Oh my god. So one, two, three, four. The sex, the sex, um five, six. I've got have you got six? I've got six. No, no, no. Seven, no. eight. Yeah, it's more than that. Eight. Yeah. Eight. Eight, yeah. Eight. We you because you've got you've got a clown, different seasons. JFK. Um oh no, that one was. Yeah, correct. So that's three. Holly, um, Holly Gibney. Holly Gibney. Um, Fast Cars. Yeah. Uh, Castle Rock. Silver Bullet. Actually, I've got seven. Seven. Okay. And I, I, I just, I, oh, you know that thing we said about when we walk into the Overlook and you just stop breathing. Um, the, yeah. The, the sex thing. The the because it sounded like a bad sex novel and it's there. Yeah. It's that's the only one you passed on. Tongue. Um, so it obviously Jerusalem's lot became Salem's lot. Um, oh gosh, I am going to that's up there with Plymouth. That is this round's Plymouth Fury for me. Just please put put me out of my misery. Second coming. Yeah, of course. I had a I had a couple of others which I was rather uh, rather proud of. I didn't quite get round to. Um uh, Stephen King created a pseudonym to allow him to publish more than one book a year, amongst other things. Yeah. Which Canadian rock band did Stephen King use as inspiration for its name? Backman Turner Overdrive. Correct. Shortly after this pseudonym was revealed to the world, Stephen King wrote a novel about a vengeful and violent character who returns from his literary death to wreak havoc on the life of his creator. What is the epitaph put on his gravestone, which was used by Thad Beaumont in a publicity stunt supposedly ending the character's existence? Not a nice guy. Not a very nice guy. Not a very nice guy. What is the name of the military experiment presumed to have been accidentally opened, uh, to have accidentally opened a portal to another dimension in King's novella, The Mist? Uh, oh, gosh, again. Um, the, oh. Oh, brain just, brain work. I know it, I know it. The, 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 the. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is just the signs and sounds of a man just metaphorically kicking himself in the head. The 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 oh, I can't want to say the Eden Project, which is so not the Eden Project. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I know it. Just say the words, but imagine it's me saying it. 
the Arrowhead Project. Yes, that's the one. And final, um, uh, two more, just for a laugh. Edgar Fremantle feels phantom pains from his lost arm in which novel? We, in fairness, we've not t- talked about this one, mm. even referred to it for quite some time. So this is one, this is very... Uh, tell me. Jim McKee. Jim McKee, yeah. And finally, finally, this is dealing with the last question I will, I will read. Read for now. What is the name of the experimental drug given to students Andy McGee and Vicky Tomlinson in Firestarter? That is the Heather Locklear drug. Lots. Also known as? Lot 61? Lot 6. Lot 6. I might have said it out the last couple of minutes. (laughs) I might might quit while I was ahead. So I've got another trick, a final trick and a a, a, a final treat. I suppose the treat is the punchline to the joke. Which we uh, we had at the very beginning. Yeah, this was Stephen King's choice of joke. Two jumper cables walk into a bar. The barman says, "You can come in, but don't start anything." He often has a trick in a lot of his talks as well, where he says, "You know, I don't know anything about or too much about the supernatural in real life, but I will say this to you: is that um, say there are I don't know several hundred of you here in this hall this evening listening to my talk, and can tell you that." Statistically speaking, one in fifty will have forgotten. You will have forgotten to have locked your front doors. So when you get home this evening, be aware of anything looking amiss. And um, when you go into the uh, into the bathroom or the shower room, just uh, make sure there's nothing hiding behind the curtain. I hope you've enjoyed this trip. Please do uh, swing by again next time when uh, normal service may have resumed. We will be staying at the Overlook for a spell. We'll, uh, we'll see you there at the bar, but only for a while, because this time I am forbidding anybody from just waiting in the bar and just seeing if it all blows over. As, uh, as I recall, somebody wanted to do when we were trapped in the supermarket of Bridgeton and the mist came in. I have a, I have a, I have a memory that uh, somebody suggested just going to the back by the, by the beer coolers. I'm, I, I'm vetoing that right off the bat this time okay, because we can't okay. do that. <laughs> it's been a delicious, delicious mix of tricks and treats. And I feel proper in the mood now for Halloween. So thank you. Thank you, Sai, for steering uh, that ship so beautifully today. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Well, on that bombshell, I bid you all goodbye. A very happy Halloween. And we will see you again in the foyer of the Overlook Hotel for King Size next time. Goodbye. King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.